So here's the headline of the day. Bobby Hall is dead at the age of 84. And when it comes to Bobby Hall, there is both the player and the person. The accomplishments are there for everybody to read. He's a member of the Hockey Hall of Fame. He won both the Stanley Cup and the NHL and the Avco Cup in the WHA. There were individual awards along the way. There was Hart Trophy. There was Art Ross, interestingly enough. There was Lady Bing as well. Um, All these things are true about Bobby Hall and his status in the game, uh, changing the game with the financial terms of his signing with the Winnipeg Jets and the WHA did indeed change the fortunes of players for years and years to come. Bobby Hall is dead at the age of 84. And if I may borrow another hockey cliche, I want to use this time and space to talk about something else. Hockey wives, hockey moms, hockey sisters, uh, we all see you. Whether it is uh, women going to the All-Star Weekend in Sunrise, whether it's Alex Carpenter or Hillary Knight, whether it's Sarah Nurse or whether it's Emily Clark, Rebecca Johnson, all going, we see you. Uh, We also saw the Premier Hockey Federation over the weekend in Toronto at Mattamy have a very successful All-Star Weekend, won by Team Canada, Lauren Gable, Britt Howard, outstanding performances all weekend long. Hockey is better when more women play. We are all better with more women in hockey. Also, want to note... Zach Hyman is having an outstanding season with the Edmonton Oilers. Zach Hyman is having a career season here as we approach the official All-Star break. 60 points in 49 games. Honest player has earned every inch of the ice he's ever received. Zach Hyman having a fantastic season, as is Adam Fox. Adam Fox is right back in the Norris conversation, New York Rangers defenseman, uh, almost a point-a-game player, has 10 goals in uh, 48 games. Um, He's in the Norris convo again. Adam Fox having a wonderful season. We're better with these two gentlemen, to say nothing of players like Jason Zucker as well, in the NHL. Speaking of Rangers defensemen, have you noticed how good Keandre Miller is? these days have you noticed how in the offseason one of the players we're going to watch very closely is Keandre Miller to see how much his next contract will be worth he has taken his game to a whole new level and has really given a shot in the arm to that New York Rangers blue line Quinton Byfield of the Los Angeles Kings an absolute future star they send him down to the American Hockey League absolutely tears it up nothing left to prove there The only question is, how great will he be in the NHL? We think of the Joseph brothers recently, the double high sticking, (laughs) the double high sticking call. When have you ever seen that before with two brothers in the NHL? The answer, you haven't. Uh, And to watch their parents in the stands just sort of shrugging their shoulders and laughing uh, is going to be one of the enduring highlights of the season. We think of the Jones brothers as well. Uh, Seth and and Caleb, the two outstanding defensemen. I always want to go out of my way to mention Jason Payne, who's a head coach of Cincinnati in the ECHL, one day he will be coaching in the NHL love Jason Payne and congratulations to Valmore James where did I put his book 
Valbor James, who a few years ago wrote this book. If you're watching on 360, Black Ice, The Val James Story, I encourage all hockey fans to read this one. Uh, he goes into the Rochester Americans Hockey Hall of Fame, uh, class of 2023, alongside Jason Palmonville. We are all better with these people in the game of hockey. Bobby Hall is dead at the age of 84. And as Lord John Dalby Acton once said, great men are seldom good men. Let's begin the show today. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, welcome to the program. Uh, A lot to get to today from the weekend. The week is sort of slowing things down here. Only six games this week. Only one game on the board tonight. You can watch that on uh, on Monday Night Hockey. Um, Your host, David Amber. Uh, And that is the St. Louis Blues and the Winnipeg Jets. We'll talk about these two teams with Elliot here in a couple of moments. Also, some news from uh, from the weekend involving the Carolina Hurricanes, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and John Tavares, and Vancouver with Ilya Mikheyev, and his season is shut down. And we'll talk about Thatcher Demko and the maybe the future there. We'll talk about the Carolina Hurricanes at the bottom of the hour. Don't look now, but. Canes are hot and recently dispatching the Boston Bruins. Oh, no, by the way, the Boston Bruins have lost three games in a row. Corey Lavalette from North Star Journal and The Athletic will stop by here. We do have the random player of the day. Today's, by the way, submitted by Ken Reed, so you know it's going to have a maritime flavor. Uh, Jonathan Davis from NHL Network and star of the Show Me the Money Hockey Betting Podcast. It just rolls off the tongue. Uh, love JD. He's going to be bored in hour two. And Andy Strickland from the Cam and Strick Podcast and Blues Ringside reporter will stop by. We'll uh, get the very latest on what's happening with the St. Louis Blues. In the meantime, from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada, here he is, Elliot Friedman. How are you today, Frege? I'm good, Jeff. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing very well. Um, there's a do, you want a good, do you want a good mental image? Oh, no. What, what do you have? I just got out of the shower. Oh, no. Do I bother asking if you're wearing a robe or a towel? <laughs> Don't ask. Okay, very good. Uh, uh, if you're having lunch right now, we all apologize. But nonetheless, <laughs> Elliot Friedman, he's, fre- he's, he's fresh and clean, as Outcast once sang. Um, let's begin by talking about someone that just celebrated game number 1,000, and that is John Tavares. Now, yeah. I think we can all recall, you know, years and years ago, John Tavares playing in the, uh, well, even before he got to the OHL, I used to always go, I used to play a, a, in a men's league at, at a rink called Vic Village. And uh, that's where the, uh, the Don Mills Flyers AAA team played. Hey. So after every, after every Thursday men's league game, I think it was the 8 to 9 o'clock or 8 to 9.30 time slot, the Don Mills Flyers yeah. would play. And I'd usually hang around, this is the minor midgets, and I'd hang around to mm-hmm. watch. Because every now and then, the Toronto Marlboros would roll in. And this is the team that had Sam Gagne and Akeem Alou and Brian Cameron and Brendan Smith and an underage John Tavares. Um, before mm-hmm. we talk about Tavares right now, like as we see him or the Islanders days or the first overall pick, do you recall the first time you started hearing about John Tavares and this future phenom? I think it was the year before he was given exceptional status in the Ontario Hockey League yep. uh, because, um, well, it was, pro- I, it was probably it was earlier than that, Jeff, but I, uh, I, I think this is the one I can really remember because at, at the time – 
they were thinking about, you knew they were going to change the rules for him, right? And it was it was a big story oh, yeah. at the time. Even even though it was a guy who was, what, 14 years old at the, uh, then, it was pretty obvious they were going to change the rules to keep him in the OHL. And the other thing I remember, too, was that John Ferguson was the general manager of the Maple Leafs at the time. And uh, I, I can't remember how exactly it went, but I think Ferguson pitched the idea that maybe if the OHL wasn't going to change the rules, he could play for the Marlies. Uh, I think he the was the AHL. one who yes, came up I remember with, that. Yes, with yeah. that plan. And uh, so there, were, there was all sorts of, at the time, wild stuff going on about what Tavares' future was going to be. Was he going to go to the USHL? Was he going to go to, was the, was the OHL going to change the rules? Were the Marlies actually going to have a chance to sign this guy and have him play for them for attendance and stuff like that? And, and, and I, remember, I remember someone saying to me, and uh, this is usually your kind of area, but someone from the OHL said to me, we're going to change the rules. We're going to take a lot of heat for it. But we don't care. This is yeah. the future of our league at stake. And that's exactly what happened. Yep. They felt that if they lost control of players like Tavares, it would hurt their league. So they were going to do what it took to keep control of it. Yeah. You, I mean, I, I'm sure speaking of, you know, uh, Maple Leafs general managers and John Tavares, you, uh, I'm sure you recall Brian Burke. And this might have been his first press conference, if memory serves, um, announcing Truculent. to the hockey world that he would. That he was truculent, testosterone, all of it. Which, which, by the way, I've always wondered if that winks back to Tom Watt. Do you remember what Tom Watt used to say about what kind of blue line he wanted in the NHL? I love this. This mm-hmm. always stuck with me. Do you remember this one? Tom Watt used to always say, I want my blue line to be hostile, agile, virile, dancing bears. So before there was Brian Burke, there was Tom Watt oh. with the hostile, agile, virile, dance. Dancing Bears. Anyhow, that's an, an that's aside. a good one. But you remember Brian Burke? That is a good one. You remember Brian Burke talking about uh, whatever it takes, we're going to get John Tavares. It was the John Tavares and Matt Deshane and Victor Hedman. Those were the, the 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 top three in the draft that year. Do you remember Berkey coming out and saying, "Oh yeah, whatever it takes, we're going to get John Tavares." And the stories of Berkey calling Gar Snow and you know, what would you say if I gave you three first round draft picks? What would you say if I gave you five? first round draft picks. Yes. Well, I'm not going to do that. Like some of those stories are some of those stories, Elliot are legendary about Berkey trying to get Tavares. Yes. And uh, I, I mean, I heard those stories 56 times in the green room. So I'm quite familiar with uh, what you're talking about, <laughs> but, uh, and, and Berkey's answer was, uh, Karth would say, I'm not getting, uh, uh, I'm not going to trade. Uh, I'm not going to trade. Five, I'm not taking five first rounders for Tavares and Berkey would yell at him. Yes, you would. You totally would. Don't tell me you wouldn't do that. And so, and, and Snow, the, the, the funniest thing about that is remember that years later, um, Gar Snow offered his entire draft for the, to Columbus for the chance to select Ryan Murray. Yes. Well, there have been a few, like the Minnesota North Stars, when, when the Pittsburgh Penguins had the first overall draft pick, uh, Eddie Johnson would have been the general manager. Um, Minnesota, and I think Danny would have been running the team then, uh, they offered every pick. I remember Milbury yeah. telling me, I remember when we worked with Mike Milbury at CBC, we were having drinks once, and he told me he, uh, I can't remember which pick it was, 
but he told me he offered the St. Louis Blues the Islander, like all of the Islander picks. And I don't think it's one of those. I don't think it was the year that St. Louis had the first overall pick, but he offered mm-hmm. all of his picks to St. Louis for their first round draft pick, saying that's pretty much the only one you can guarantee. And I want a guaranteed player coming out of this draft. So. It's, it's it's not new in the history of the game, but it's always something to sort of remark on when it happens. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. We'll give you every single pick in exchange for this player. Yep. And, uh, but, I, you know, I don't remember. I, I, I do remember Berkey telling me the story about uh, him and Gar Snow. I mean, the, the whole thing with Tavares is um, I, I remember for a guy who went first overall, you'll remember, Jeff, that there were a lot of doubts about his ability to play, uh, to be an elite player for a long time in the NHL. Like I remember doing an interview with um, one of his coaches at the time in, in, in the juniors. And they said, I remember, I think it was Brad Selwood. He said from the blue line in first. Yeah. From the blue line in John Tavares is unstoppable. It's what's going to happen on the rest of the ice. And there were a lot of people who really doubt him. And, you know, the thing is, he's, he's never going to be the most perfect skater, but he always worked at it. You know, he's, um, he's, a, he's a very serious guy uh, when it comes to taking the way he prepares seriously. And uh, he's, he, like, even when he signed with the Leafs, I remember people saying this is going to be a bad signing because he's, He's not a good enough skater to last seven years. Well, what we're what five years into the deal, and he's mm-hmm. he's still going pretty strong. I mean, that for a number one overall pick, there were a lot of people who doubted John Tavares. Listen, there were there there, there is that history too of of players that aren't necessarily the speediest that have that knock. I mean, I think of Joe Thornton. For example, yep. and how did how did how did Joe Thornton survive for all the? He was not Pavel Bure, he was not Connor mm-hmm. McDavid, and he survived and thrived and became one of the best players of his generation. And the thing that I think about with Tavares, and we're talking about Tavares here because he just played game number one thousand, and that's listen, that's such an accomplishment. I know that's one of those things that players really value. How long did you play? How many games mm-hmm. did you play? The thing that always stood out to me about Tavares, like the production was was always there with the Islanders. The shot was always there. But Elliot, his work like protecting the puck along the boards and being mm-hmm. able to come out of scrums with pucks and be able to, you know, one on one uh, one-on-one into the boards with with another player and the ability to come out of it. Like, a lot of that is hard work. I get it. You know, offense is inspiration. You know, board battles, perspiration, all these types of things. Defense is perspiration. I was always just stunned at how effective he was along the board. Ryan Smith was this way as well for so many years with the Oilers. I, I just, I, I think that at that time, I can't think of anyone who was better at board battles than John Tavares. We think of the skill and the hands and all that. I don't know, man. I think of him along the boards. I uh, I think that is probably the most underrepresented stat in hockey. Who wins battles? And yep. uh, we did a regional game this year where Mike Kelly was on from Sport Logic, and he talked about how uh, Barkov leads the league. And uh, I asked him a little bit more about that. And uh, or I think I think it was Barkov was puck battles. I don't think it was board battles. I think it was puck battles. But you know, some Red Wings players told me that Scotty Bowman used to count that. Who gets the puck? 
Like when the, when the puck is is dumped in, who gets it? Like he would keep that stat. Uh, to me, that's that's the biggest unknown stat in hockey is who wins battles. I remember Adam Oates, and I'm not going to say who the player was, but Adam Oates was watching a game with us once when he was working with us, and he and he saw something, and uh, and he kind of went hmm. And I said, you know, what are you what are you looking at? And he said that he, there was a defenseman he was watching, and the whole the whole game, I think it was the third period, he said that the best that that defenseman did was tie a puck battle. He said he said he looks at th- puck battles three different ways: you you win them, you lose them, or you tie. And if you tie, that mm-hmm. means someone else has to come and get the puck. And he, he said he saw this guy this whole game. And the best he did was tie where someone else had to get the puck. And he said that meant that player was not as valuable defenseman to him. This was a pretty good player. And he said that, uh, he said, think about it. If you lose the puck battle, it's a problem. If you win the puck battle, it's great. If the best you can do is tie, that means another player, you're always relying on another player to win that battle for you. And I've always, I always remembered that. It's one of those things you hear that really sticks with you, and I've all, it's always stuck with me. And that's why I think that puck battles won or board battles won. That is one of the most underappreciated uh, and underrepresented stats in the sport because I think that the players who win those, um, I think they're hugely advantageous, especially in the postseason when it's all about who battles to win the puck. John Tavares on uh, playing game number 1,000. The Maple Leafs beat the Washington Capitals by a final score, final score of 5-1. to one. The other game yesterday, because the schedule is sort of winding down here for All-Star break, only six games remaining uh, until we get to the break. The Boston Bruins lose, comma, again, Elliot. The sky is falling yes, in Boston. Sir. It's all caving in, right? It's awful. Yes, it's, 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 trade everybody. Blow, blow it up. It's awful in Boston. Uh, your uh, your thoughts on Boston right now? Well, I mean, I, I don't know, like, uh, how – I mean, I don't think there's anything to overreact to. I mean, the fact that we're 50 games into the season for the first time they've lost twice in a row, never mind three times in a row. I'm sorry, I can't overreact to that. Uh, somebody – it was going to happen sooner or later, I guess. Um, you know, I, I just think that uh, they're – I still think they're a machine. I still think they're a heck of a team. Um, I'm very curious to see what they're going to do. I, I think they're out there looking for players. I think you said it best on the podcast today, and that that is that they, you know, they feel they owe it to their guys to go try and win. I think it's an interesting uh, walk uh, to balance because it's obviously they have a special chemistry this year, and you don't want to muck around with that too much. But I do think they're looking for a lefty. I, I think they're looking for another forward and. I think they're all in it to win it because they know that their their math is going to change significantly after this year. I mean, right now you've got your top two centers. You got Bergeron playing for for two and a half million. You've got Krejci playing for a million. I was going to go through this later today, but how many other teams have their top two centers playing for three and a half million dollars? <laughs> and and their tops in the and their tops in the NHL. And, and and one of those guys is going to the Hall of Fame, and another guy is a hell of a player. So, I mean, it's 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 not like you're looking at this and saying, uh, uh, you're saying, wow, like, you know, 
the Bruins are, you know, you're looking at this and saying the Bruins are fortunate, very fortunate that those players did that. So, and, and I, I think it's obvious now that, uh, you know, while they're grinding away at Pasternak, like that's going to be an unbruined number. Like Pasternak is going to push them in, into a place where they've never been before and probably wish they never would have been in before. And he deserves every penny. I, I can't, I can't knock him for it. So, um, you know, I, I just think that they know that the math is changing after this year, so they better do it, and I, I think they're going to try to do it. Um, also around the NHL, panic meter here, uh, both about okay. the team and their star center. Vegas Golden Knights, how mm-hmm. much uh, consternation is there in Nevada right now about this team and about Jack Eichel, who, listen, we all know he started the season wonderful, uh, has hit a skid, has hit a slide, uh, Stone is injured, Eichel is slumping, and this team's having a hard time right now. How much hand-wringing is there in Vegas? Oh, I, you know, it's interesting. I, I think that, I, like, first of all, they, they've built up a bit of a runway, so they, I mean, the math is still good for them, right? So in terms of making the playoffs, I, I, I don't know that I worry too much. Um, I, I think that a couple of things that I'm sure they're probably looking at here. Number one, I, I think you're, you're wondering about what is Stone's health. I, I think so. T- mm-hmm. I always look at what's the big picture area, and that is Stone's health, and everything to me is second to that. The second thing I look at, and I kind of wondered this watching them a, a couple of weeks ago, I just wondered if it would get to a situation where, you know, they looked like the math was really good for them last year and they collapsed under the weight of the injuries and everything that was going on. And I just wonder if you get into a position where you're thinking, "Uh Oh, here we go again. Is this going to, is this going to be like last year? And I I think that's a, a thing that they have to be really careful about because when you get in that torrent of negativity, it can really cost you a lot of problems. So that's that's one thing that I've kind of wondered is, do any of those players start to think, uh-oh, here we go again, we're in big trouble, and how do you prevent against that? And, you know, the third thing, I can only imagine the pressure that Eichel feels under. Like, this is a guy who wants to do well, um, and, like, first of all, they lose Stone, and secondly, you know, they're struggling a bit, um, you know, the, the and Caskey's blunt and he's honest. Um, and he says, Hey, you know, we, Eichel's basically got to be better, but I, I got to think that he's looking at what's happening in Buffalo and they're starting to go and, and Buffalo has now put themselves on the edge of being a playoff team, right? Like they're right there and their math is oh, decent. Yeah. I, I can't imagine like if you're as super competitive as a guy like Eichel is, I can't imagine you haven't noticed that. I think that's uh, I think that's true. And if you're Eichel, you are looking at your old team. I think players do that all the time. Uh, yeah. How are they since I left? And right now, if you're Jack Eichel and you're looking at the Buffalo Sabers, you're saying to yourself, uh, "Uh oh." Um, in Buffalo, they're saying Tage Thompson is the guy we all hoped that Eichel was going to become. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I so think that it's I, tough. I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. I'm sure he's looking at at it and saying, <clears throat> "Sorry, Jeff. I'm sure he's looking at it and saying, Sorry. you know, it's like you're 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 putting all the pressure on the world on yourself. That's what you do." 
All right, uh, a couple of minutes here. Let, let me ask you about the nature of uh, the kingmaker around trade deadline time. We've seen various teams. Okay. Uh, we think of Ottawa once upon a time play kingmaker. You know, we'll decide. You know how the balance of power uh, moves around the NHL by by way of uh, who we decide to move. Uh, and Mark mm-hmm. Stone was very much someone that tipped the scales in favor of the Vegas Golden Knights once upon a time. Uh, when you yep. look around the league right now, uh, whether it's Arizona or Chicago or St. Louis or Vancouver or San Jose, do you see an obvious kingmaker with any of these teams, the team that will decide, you know what, whichever way we go with these players, you know, that's going to really tilt the rink towards this one squad. I mean, the Rangers kind of played Kingmaker, although it didn't show up right away, you know, with that Ryan McDonough, JT Miller move to the Tampa Bay Lightning once upon a time. Is there a team that's obvious right now that you look at and say, bingo, this team Kingmaker, watch them on March 3rd. I think, I think Jeff, to me, the Kingmaker is who, who's got the best player. And, and to me, I, I think the best players available as far as we know at the deadline, as far as we know, Mm-hmm. are in Vancouver and in San Jose. And in, 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 I think there's other teams that have uh, good players available. And, like, I think St. Louis has some really good fits available uh, where guys you could look at going into a situation who maybe aren't the biggest names um, and I think could really fit in places. And to be honest, I'd even put O'Reilly and Tarasenko in that I think those guys could be great fit players, even though they're bigger names. Like, I I think they've got a bunch of guys there that really could help teams in different roles. But I look at Meyer, and I look at Horvat, and I look at Carlson, and I have to say, when it comes to Carlson, you know, depending on the day or the information, I'm more or less convinced. Some days I think there's no way he's getting moved this year until the offseason, and other times... I think I, I hear some people say, well, maybe it could happen. So you know, I, I'm refusing to discount it, but I, I change my opinion on a daily basis. So I think in terms of the role players, I, I think St. Louis has a lot of really nice fits. I think in terms of the biggest names and how they could affect a team, I look at Vancouver and San Jose and I say, those are the teams that have like the, the nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to throw Jacob Trickler on the table here. I know we've talked a lot about yeah. him for uh, forever. Um, mm-hmm. But based on what Bill Armstrong wants for a return, mm-hmm. in a year mm-hmm. now, he hasn't been able to find it. Do you mm-hmm. get a sense that he's willing to go past another trade deadline, hang on to his price, or do you think he's of the mind that we're going to hold on to this price until the very last moment, right before the March 3rd deadline, and then take the best offer we can get. What do you think? Uh, I think, I don't think he's, I, I think he would like to make the deal. But, you know, the one thing I think about him is, and I think about this all the time. If he doesn't get what he wants, does everybody think that he's pliable? Do people look at Bill Armstrong and say, you can outweigh him and you can bend it to what you want? And I think people making, and not only in the sports world, 
But I think people in the business world think about this all the time. This is all about negotiation. Who has the hammer? Sometimes you have the hammer and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you get the W. Sometimes you have to take the L. This time it's less clear cut. Okay. But I think this is like Bill Armstrong, like the trade he made with Vancouver for Ekman Larson. uh, He, he held on and he got what he wanted. And it looks like that is a trade that's going to benefit Arizona long-term. I think he looks at it. Like, I think he knows the player would like this to be over. I think he knows the players representatives would like this to be over. I'm sure on some level, even he would like this to be over, but I think he looks at it. Like I've got to show people I mean business. So until proven wrong, I think he'll just keep it this way. So let me end on this one then. I was uh, having a conversation last night with someone and I asked them, who's the most interesting team to you right now for deadline? Mm -hmm. And without Mm -hmm. missing a beat, he said, the Dallas Stars. And I Mm -hmm. said, why Dallas? He said, that's an excellent team, but they need one more thing. And I said, what is Mm -hmm. that? And he said, they need someone to play with Tyler Sagan. Do you agree or disagree that Dallas is that one piece away? Like they're real good. Dallas is awesome. Like that's a, and we all know who's coming and like the whole pipeline looks good for Dallas. Everyone there, development, scouting, they've done a really good job. Do you think that they are still that one piece away? And could that piece be another top six player? Uh, I think Dallas is second on my list um, because I have a Canadian bias. Uh, uh, but I, I agree with everything. I, I I agree with everything you said there. I, I don't think you're wrong. I agree with everything you said. Dallas could win the Stanley Cup this year, for sure. Yep. Um, yep. I but number one on my list is Toronto because I think uh, he would like to take a big swing, but I think what he's trying to figure out is how on earth he can do it. And. Uh, um, and, and, and right now, he uses the same calculator as everybody else. Unless he has a magic calculator that bends, you know, the realities of the cap, it's going to be very hard to do. But I think he would like to do something larger. I just don't know if he's going to be able to do it. Right. Uh, we're up against the clock. Fridge, uh, have a good rest of your afternoon. Only one game tonight. The uh, the St. Louis Blues face off against the Winnipeg Jets. Going to talk with Andy Strickland coming up in hour two about that. In the meantime, you have a good rest of your day, and we'll check back tomorrow. All right, Merrick. Speak to you tomorrow. Uh, okay, there's Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada.